Well, welcome back to another episode of the Gary Anderson F1 Show. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me as always is Gary Anderson. And today we're going to talk about the Formula One season, 2020 Formula One season, the one that may or may not get underway in, in July. Gary's got some uh, great insight into the practicalities of how things might happen if they happen. And of course, we can look at the wider question mark about whether that uh, July start timeline is, is really possible. There's loads to, to get into uh, there. And the opening question today is from at Dermot's Era, who says, during your time involved in Formula One, what was the biggest innovation you shamelessly borrowed from another team's car? Shamelessly borrowed? Um, I don't actually think I ever did. Um, I always felt that the cars that that I knew best were cars that we created. Um, and things went on, on the cars design-wise uh, to function. And we understood the function. Um, Whenever you copy something, to be honest, I think you end up with a, a very difficult situation where to suit, you know, for things aerodynamically, for example, to suit other um, cars' aerodynamic flow structures, things might not work on your own car. So I, I found that the cars that I had difficulty with were more the cars that you might have looked too much down the pit lane and actually tried to understand them too much. Um, obviously, you follow, follow the trends because that's, that's the way life is. But the, the actual sort of shamelessly borrowed would would not really come into anything that I did. I suppose the one thing we did do that we borrowed, and it wasn't from another car, was the um, in 1992 we did a uh, sequential gear change. It was basically a motorbike system um, put into the gearbox rather than an H pattern gear system, and that was the lead up to doing it uh, as an electronic gear change. Um, so we we shamelessly went to a motorbike shop and and bought a a gear change system and uh, redrew it to suit sort of having a, a six and seven speed gearbox so uh, that would be the only thing i would say but as far as the rest of the cars are concerned i don't think as i say you follow the trend but i don't think we actually did really copy anything well let's get on to our main topic formula one's announced that the french grand prix is cancelled that one's not just postponed that's off for, for good obviously france can't hold any mass gatherings in, in that period so that's off the table the potential start date is July the 5th in Austria. So that's the original Austrian Grand Prix date. And F1 hasn't said this is definitely the calendar, but this is presented as their as their current plan. So we do Austria then uh, onto Silverstone. So do you see that Austria start happening? Well, it's the one that could happen. Um, you know, it's owned by the Red Bull owner, so um, funds are not too difficult. You know, normally the, the, the circuits pay a fee to, F, to Formula 1, and that's part of the money the teams the teams get, roughly, let's say it's around $25 million um, to put the race on. And then the, the circuit takes the um, the gate money or the spectator money that comes in. And it's anything that comes in through the gate becomes the, 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 uh, the, the circuit owner or the circuit organization. So he can st- stand up there and, and happily say, no, let's just do it without any spectators because... You know, it is going to be very difficult, I think, to have that that amount of spectators there. You know, you're talking 100,000 people or something like that. Um, so I don't think that they'd be allowed to make that happen, whereas a race without spectators behind closed doors, I suppose Austria, is the best place to, to make it happen. But there's so much else has to be sorted out before that would be able to take place. You know, there's still a lot of people in a small area to be not, for that to be able to sort out. I don't know how you go about that, really. Yeah, it's a, it's a big old task and you've got to get the government approval. I imagine Red Bull has probably got reasonable sway with the Austrian government. So if it's possible to get exemptions, etc. and putting controls to do it, they've got as good a chance as any, but still uh, a big ask. But 
from what I understand, Red Bull are certainly willing to uh, to move mountains, as it were, to, uh, to to make it happen. Actually, if they moved the mountains, the circuit was in. That would probably make it uh, make it a little bit easier. But yeah, real uh, real battle. I mean, one thing that will happen in Austria if it happens, as you mentioned, is no spectators. Silverstone's also confirmed that if the British Grand Prix happens, and it's still an if, it'll be without spectators. They've written to all the the ticket holders to say that either they can get a refund or their ticket will roll over to 2021. And in fact, they're offering tickets for 21 for NHS personnel as well, which is a, a nice little touch. So where do you stand on having a spectatorless Grand Prix if it can happen? I think it would be pretty strange, really. We've got to think about why Formula One or any sport is there. Um, I mean, as far as I know, it's there as a, uh, you know, a, a sort of spectator motivation system. Obviously, you can put it on TV, and we've, we know over the last few years that all all good sports programs have gone on to pay channels, um, and not everybody has that. So you're moving it further away from, you know, as we call it, Joe Public, I suppose, which is really not what it's all all about. The Formula One, I think, at the minute is 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 a bit obsessed with having a championship as opposed to having um, some waiting period to really make it happen properly. Now, you know, we do look at Austria as in July, so as quite a long time away. Um, you know, there's another, what, eight weeks before that, that race would take place at least. So things will change during that eight, eight weeks. And I think it's good that Formula One start to plan what could happen, but whether it will happen or not. And to, as I say, to do it behind um, closed doors and no spectators, you're still going to need to have probably 1,500 people with the teams, uh, with the martial systems, with the you know, just the organisation people there. Even if you do do cut down dramatically on the media and the commentators, you're still going to have to have something, you know, I would think around about 1,500 people at the circuit to um, just make the thing happen, basically, and be, be there if something goes wrong. Um, so that's all got to be managed pretty well. But without any spectators, I mean, it would be funny for the drivers, I mean, obviously, we've raced at places like Hockenheim, for example, on the big circuit, and you used to turn right after the pits, and you wouldn't see a soul till you turned sort of right back to the pits again. So they have raced on tracks where half of the track never had a spectator on it, um, but there's usually spectators somewhere. So it is a sort of a bit different discipline driving the cars around and, and looking at for people. And Jackie Stewart used to always say that he, during the race, he would notice that people moving in the grandstand. There was somebody with a red coat sitting in such and such a grandstand, and and then they were in the, that red coat had moved up 100 yards or 200 yards down the road. So it was quite funny how he, he sort of took in this, you know, this atmosphere around him while he was still driving the car. So that, that would all be gone completely. I guess it's one of those things that it's just necessity, isn't it? Because it's not a question of do you have a, a Grand Prix with spectators or no spectators. It's do you have a Grand Prix or do you not have a Grand Prix, really, isn't it? It's the only way to, to do it. So I guess as long as it's uh, a short term just a necessity rather than a, a general plan that that's good because if you remember when there was first talk about Paul Ricard coming back onto the calendar this was some years ago before it did return this was at a time when it was a, it was purely a test track so they did actually talk about having a no spectator Grand Prix by design and only having uh, some sort of paddock club type things there so uh, that I think we can agree is uh, is not desirable but uh, I mean that point you made about F1's very keen to get going I guess there is a a logic behind trying to get going and get as many races in as they can because that's that's where the financial implications can be mitigated can't they the more races that don't happen the the less the less the less revenue yeah the revenue thing is one thing but you just got to be sure that you know when you end up with a a 2020 world champion that you actually end up with someone that's uh, you know that 
for some reason, they've actually won the World Championship. The teams themselves, I mean, it's a bit strange because they, they initially put them all on their enforced holiday, moved it forward from August, um, and then quite a few of the teams now have furlonged the staff and even, you know, reduced wages within the companies. So they're sort of, you know, we've got this big moneyed thing, Formula One, um, that whenever they hit a little bit of a crisis, there's nothing in the bank to sort of su- support them. And they need to be very careful and not just doing it all for financial reasons. Get get back out there racing because um, because someday somewhere we'll pay something. And I suppose that's all going to be down to um, circuits being able to withstand running a race without any income and the TV companies paying um, something towards the racing. But uh, as far as the rest of it's concerned, you know, it's a, it's a fairly dramatic thing, I think, to ask the sponsors that are on each car to stump up for what would be a what would it be a half coverage, you know, event, just because of the people aren't watching it for sure. So it's a fine line because you can rush down the road and, and say, okay, we're losing, as I think Franz Tost has said, two million dollars a, a race meeting, you know, from revenue coming in, or even more than that, I'm sure. Um, but it can't be the same again. You know, it cannot be the same to to run a race a, a circuit with no spectators and expect the revenue to come in just the same. So be, they need to be careful. It's not being done for their own reasons. Yeah, and of course there will be pressure on from from broadcasters. We know some broadcasters at least contracts they have to have fifteen races or so. So that that's why we're still hearing this talking about fifteen to eighteen races because there's. There's a, there's a multitude of things. So even if they're not getting much revenue from the the race holders, because they'll, I presume they'll have to do some kind of financial discount for those paying, they would also need to trade that off against what they can gain from the the broadcasters still paying. So it's uh, it's uh, it's complicated, uh, a complicated thing to do. Uh, now, obviously, you've got the question of how you run these races. Uh, there's talking about having them locked down, and you can control people's movements. You can have charter flights you can minimize the number of staff but as you've said that's still a lot of people and then once you're in the garage which is somewhere you've spent a lot of time uh in formula one you're kind of unavoidably close aren't you and uh, how easy do you think it would be to actually make it work it's all well and good in theory to say well you can seal everything but how practical do you think it'll be to make to make that work in a real life garage real life f1 paddock well, I think it's impossible to make it work if, if you're talking about having social distancing. I mean, the only way I could see it make it work, and let's say there's, there's there's 10 teams and each team brings about 70 people, let's say, to a race meeting, that's 700 people. Um, you, you'd probably have another 500 marshals that's necessary. Now, they've got to be able to get you know, up close and personal if something goes wrong. Um, they can't you know, be socially distant. Uh, and there's some of the organising body. There will be some. I'm sure there'll be some media there. There'll be some. There'll be TV cameras because there'll have to be. There'll be some commentators. They might just do one live feed, I suppose. So that can all be sort of controlled fairly well. But still, as I say, you're going to be looking at 1,500 people that need to be there, or roughly 1,500 people. And you know, I don't know how good this um, coronavirus testing is, but perhaps it's time that we, you know those 1,500 people before they get on a plane to a private airfield or on a charter plane to a private airfield in Austria, they need to be tested for coronavirus. And if anybody's got anything, they don't go. You know, you can, I'm sure you can do something somewhere or another, but it isn't going to be easy. Yeah, and it'll never be foolproof. And actually, 
uh, the, the list of people you mentioned needing to run a Grand Prix also includes medical personnel, doesn't it? So you also need to be able to have medical personnel because there's, there's very highly qualified people who are on the ground. Plus, you also need the possibility, it's thankfully very, very rare, but if there were to be a serious accident and someone were tra- to be transferred to a nearby hospital, it needs, needs to be one that's got capacity, etc. So there's also that question of whether it's... Uh, I mean, it's very, very serious for Formula One to operate in general, but for what might be termed a frivolous, non-essential activity, we've got to make sure Formula One doesn't get in the way of more important matters at this stage. Yeah, I mean, it's just a whole set of services that need to be around Formula One. Obviously, it's a dangerous sport, um, and you just got to be careful that someone doesn't go wrong. You know, your helicopter pilots, the, all that stuff needs to be available. So as I say, that whole group of people would need to make sure that they're all available and all not suffering because the worst thing you could do is pass it on to, to others. Um, and as I say, that can be done for sure, but it's it's going to be down to acceptance of the fact that, you know, you're going to have people coming in from Italy, from Spain, from the UK, from Japan, from all over the world, basically. Um, and you've got to have confidence that, they're, that, that those tests are being done correctly. So for any country, I think, any government, I think they would need to be in charge of those tests because I don't think Formula One could just set up its own little tent at the back of the paddock and say, right, okay, if you're going to come in here, you're going to have to you know, breathe in this tube or whatever. Uh, so it, it'll take a lot of thought. It'll take a lot of, uh, a lot of commitment to making it happen properly. Um, and does it have to happen properly? Well, you know, we all want to see a championship this year of some sort. We all want to see racing again. We all want to see you know, football or cricket or golf or whatever. But sometimes you have to bite the bullet and hang on until uh, the circumstances change. Yeah, and they'll they'll need all sorts of contingency plans as well with, you know, the question mark of what happens if somebody does end up testing positive or start or that when they're originally tested, they're fine. And then perhaps there's something, something changes and they, they start to show symptoms or whatever. And obviously it's very, it's easy to pick it up without knowing because you're, you're, you should be asymptomatic for a for a period, and some people carry it without showing any <laughs> symptoms at all. So it's that that's the awkward thing with this, isn't it? If it was if it was really easy with COVID nineteen, to be sure, people compare it to say SARS, and one of the reasons COVID nineteen's gone, as I understand it, I'm just this is just from reading what experts say, because SARS manifested itself quite aggressively and got to the lungs quite quickly. You didn't have that period where it wasn't such a big problem, so it, it eliminated the lag. So it was almost so efficient and quick at getting at causing problems that that it, it was its own worst enemy in terms of spreading. Whereas COVID nineteen poses bigger problems. So it's it's never a, a simple binary zero or one question, is it? It's never really no. It's never really a simple solution. And I'd like to bring in one of my little stories here just to sort of make sure we you know understand what we're talking about um quite a few years ago jordan we had a hydraulic problem we were getting contamination in the hydraulic oil and you know some of these little um, valves that control the system tiny tiny flow through them so very very small you know microns piece of dust in the hydraulic oil and the thing just sticks and you know the valve leaks so we had a few problems like this and we we had to put in some real tight sort of controls over how the systems were built how they were cleaned and the processes of doing all this, which obviously added quite a lot more work. And um, as we applied them, suddenly our hydraulic problems disappeared. And it's a bit like uh, like uh, coronavirus. You know, they disappeared. And then the, the guys that were responsible for the hydraulic systems would come up to me and say, can we stop doing that now because everything's okay? And it's a bit like saying, okay, when do you stop this social, social distancing or, or lockdown? Because 
you know, we don't know what's around the corner whenever they do stop it. And the worst thing would be if it's worse just because we're too keen and too eager to get out of it. I know a huge amount of people need to get out of it for some reason. So the people that are forced to, to be, to just be able to go back to work or do, do their job or do the things they have to do normally, the people that are forced to do it, they need the they need to be first and not the luxury of, of a sport. The luxury of a sport would be fantastic and everybody would be supporting it, but there's a lot more people that are under great pressure to need to get out of it and that's the first ones that should be able to get out, to get out and do stuff. Well, I guess the hope is that, that Formula One itself will will have no choice really but to be responsible on this because they'll be dealing with governments, won't they? So I guess Formula One as a whole needs to work towards getting on races if it possibly can, but obviously there's a line where, where it's not possible. So uh, I can see why it, it's positive that they've put together a, a plan that's got half a chance of working, but yeah, it, it does feel like half a chance at the moment. I mean, mentioning Crowdless Grand Prix, but thinking about somewhere like Silverstone, it, it it came out at the top of the the, the fan surveys, the, the surveys F1 conducts for the for the best race all round, fan experience, value for money, all these sorts of things. It's turned into a brilliant event, and I think it's probably fair to say there was a period at Silverstone in, in the not-too-distant past when it wasn't such a fantastic event. It lost a bit of its appeal, but it's a brilliant event to go to now. So it's going to be really strange if you have a race there, you know, an hour before the race, You've got no crowd. You've got none of the none of the sort of razzmatazz going on. It'll just be like a a January winter test, uh, if you like. Which is going to be a really odd environment, isn't it? Well, that's really what I was saying in my thing. You know, I think that at the end of the day, one of the biggest thing that takes up time is the travelling between circuits. So, if you're at in Austria and there is no spectators, and if you're in Silverstone and there is no spectators, the best thing to do is have a few races. You know, why not have a race on a Saturday and a race on a Sunday? Um, because you're there. TV cameras, they can move position a bit or they can do whatever, but it, that doesn't really matter. It's just a double hit, really, at the same circuit. Then you don't have to move stuff around. Um, and you can do that, you know, if you if you did that, you can shorten the mileage down a bit. You can have qualifying on the Saturday for the Saturday race, qualifying on the Sunday for the Sunday race. You can just reduce the, the race mileage a little bit, as I said in, in my, one of my articles, because, you know, normally, probably an F1 car does about 750 kilometres, um, over a given weekend, um, and that's sort of the mileage for the, the engines, and it's probably the mileage for the you know the drivers to accept their you know a pretty hard weekend's work, I suppose. Um, so you can just divide that in two and say, okay, all you're going to have is a qualifying session on Saturday morning, and a, and a, a race on Saturday afternoon, a qualifying session Sunday morning, a race Sunday afternoon. You can have a little practice session before qualifying if you want it. But we know that when we've been forced to have qualifying on race day it's actually worked out pretty good. And a lot of people thought it was pretty decent. So, you know, there is races we go to as well where it's been wet up to qualifying um, and then suddenly it's dried for qualifying. And, and at the end of the day, you know, the cream rises to the top. The good guys will will do a good job, unfortunately, I suppose, the best way of putting it. So it might give the underdog a little bit of a chance if you have just different weekends with different uh, a different structure. Well, it's interesting because as soon as you move away from that really well-established structure, you know, it's 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 tediously predictable, the shape of a Grand Prix weekend, isn't it? That will knock people out of comfort zones and that kind of thing. It is interesting that because as well as the, the double header with two races on a weekend, there's also been a suggestion you could have, say, one one race on a Sunday and then another Grand Prix weekend that runs to the to the race on a on a Wednesday, which I think is probably a, an attempt to preserve something something like that. I mean, what, what are the practicalities of, of that? I mean, do we just say that the fact they were able to do qualifying means fine, 
the teams can adapt ultimately they've just got to put the car on the track when they need to and, and do what they need to do it doesn't really matter exactly what the timetable is and uh, and how it how it works in that regard yeah, I don't. I don't think it does matter. And we we talk a lot about F one experimenting with formats. So, you know, this is a, a very good situation where you could just go from weekend to weekend and and you know throw in something new and just see what comes out at the other end of it. Because this is now being forced upon everybody and all the teams to be totally different. Why not just try some of the stuff? Why not try a reverse grid race? You know, what's the reason for that? You know, slot one in every now and again. If you've got two races, two races, let's say in Austria, or two races in Silverstone, two races in Spa, have one of them as a reverse grid race just to see how it unfolds. Still get points and stuff. And, you know, if it doesn't work out good, well, you can say, well, we'll give it a shot at least because all the time you're going to be learning and you're going to be adapting to this new situation. So there is opportunity here for F1 to stand up and try to sort of change the face value of what we've been looking at for many, many years because it's been the same for a long time. We all talk about it being boring. Well, it's not really. I mean, it is quite exciting stuff, Formula 1. There's a, a lull in the middle of the race there where sometimes nothing really too much happens. You know, after lap 10, 15 or something, and the last 10 or 15 laps are always very good as well. So you can cut that middle stint out a little bit um, and, and bring it, you know, reduce it a little bit and, and reduce the mileage so that, the, you know, the, the cars aren't doing too many miles between services and the drivers aren't working too hard. Um so it's easy enough to do stuff, but you just have to get on and do it. And everybody needs to agree to, to doing it because it's in the interest of everybody to get back out onto the track. And it's in the interest of everybody to do what they can when it does start and make it as exciting as possible. And someone has to change to do that. So now is the time to play with the format. That'd be fun as well to ask some slightly different questions of drivers and teams. They get so used to their their work, the way of doing things that will actually create some new demands. If you've got to turn around things more quickly, if you've got to go through your data much more much more rapidly, that could even work in favour of the smaller teams because obviously going you know people talk about data as if it's a kind of magic key, but it's not. A data is just a load of raw material you've got to sift through, and the big teams are very very good at that. But it, it does take time and computing power and processes. Whereas you might. In, in a way find that if you're trying to use less almost do a little bit less because you're not as big you might be able to fit that into a more condensed period possibly i don't know normally things favor the, the big teams whatever happens yeah normally things favor the big teams but you know you could get a lucky break and it, i mean and again you can bring in some sort of control over the amount of data it's all it all goes through you know an fia black box as such so it's very it'd be very easy to put in a timestamp and stuff and, and you know you can get that that for a while so, you know, you cut out all that data a bit and allow teams to think on their feet a little bit. You know, everybody talks about doing something different and everything can be looked at about doing something different. It's just, we, we've talked many, many times about just make the teams use all three Pirelli compounds. You know, you have to stop twice. You have to use the three compounds for at least five laps each tyre or something during the race weekend. You know, why not try that? It's there. The compounds are all going to be there. Um so it's not really a drama, is it? It's just it's just about trying to instigate something that might pop up and say that was good, wasn't it? And uh, you have this opportunity because it's completely different now, anyway. But I, the one thing I do want to say, I think that you know, I think we should look at trying to get whatever season twenty twenty is. It needs to be done and dusted in in twenty twenty. I think making it into a, you know a, a mega season with going running into twenty twenty one is the wrong thing. That would change quite a lot of stuff, stats and, and whatever. 
I think that we sh- we should look at containing twenty twenty within its you know before Christmas and getting it done um, because otherwise you're just going to get a mess and that mess is going to continue on for far too long. Yeah, there's a question of you almost start throwing good money money after bad, as it were, don't you? Because you you compound that that you carry problems over into 2021 that with a bit of luck we won't have to uh, have to resolve be faced with uh, for next year although of course it all depends on how uh, vaccines go etc etc and whether what we're hoping that by the start of next season things are completely normal and you can just crack on as uh, as is but that's still uh, still a question but yeah, I think you're right that that F1 needs to keep it uh, keep it contained I mean, coming back to the, the the big picture of the calendar obviously Chase Carey's talked about it we have Austria and Silverstone and then we've got that run of three European races Hungary, Belgium, Italy we know Monaco and France are off for good. There's races in Spain and and the, the Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort that are currently down as postponed and looking for a new date, so they could reappear. Uh, but if the races that are currently scheduled go ahead as ten as double headers, that's ten races in total. And then the idea is to go to Eurasia, Asia, the Americas, and then finish off in the Middle East, presumably with Bahrain and Abu Dhabi, uh, which can run close together because they're 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 very very the stone throw from uh, from each other really. Um, but how many races do you think we can realistically expect, particularly if we're working towards that that end of 2020 deadline? 15 to 18 sounds, uh, certainly the upper range of that sounds desperately optimistic. Yeah, I think so. I mean, how many do you need to make a championship? And if you look at the sort of average races over the last few years, I think 16 or something is is a nice number. You know that, you know, the, the, the people have had a bit of an unlucky uh, weekend or two have you know it sort of levels itself out a bit. Um, I think anything less would be would be seen as a bit of a snapshot, um, and it would be who started best as opposed to who maintained it. Um, but any more now, I think I think you'd have to plan just on on what you have to have. I mean, there's races like Spa. I'm not sure whether or not they can move their date or not. So there's races out there that maybe the dates can't change that easily because of public roads and whatever. Plus, Spa's not a very easy one to to seal off. If we take Silverstone or or the Red Bull Ring, as we've been talking about, they're a little bit different. Whereas Spa is, you know, it's quite old world. There's not kind of a you're straight into little towns and bits and pieces outside of it. It's a really it's a really hard one to contain. Same with Monza, you could say as well. Which is, although it's in the Royal Park, you're then sort of straight into Milan, and obviously Northern Italy is is problematic. Yeah, I mean, there there are the circuits where it will be very, very difficult to to contain and stop the public coming in. I mean, you know, even in, as you say in Monza, you know, you'll have marshals standing at a gate, and, and instead of the people walking through the gate, they'll go over the top of the wall beside them, and that will still happen for sure. So it needs a lot of control for that that area. But as I said, there's there's probably some circuits where dates can't really change, so they need to be sort of fixed uh, in on the calendar, and then you try and move everything else around to suit. Um, you know, do you have these? You know, one race one weekend and a different track the next weekend, or do you try and do a double header and, and have two weeks between all the races? Uh, you know, beginning of July up to Christmas, that leaves about twenty six weeks um, potentially. Um, thirteen weekends, uh, thirteen um, potential every other weekend to to, to race, and um, so you can if you had a double header, you could have up to twenty odd races. But you can't really do that right through. So, you know, I think you could achieve 16. You could put the plan in place for 16, and there will be some drop-off, I think, you know. But if the plan's there to say, okay, we're going to Austria, we're going to do this, we're going to Silverstone, we're going to do this, we're going to Monza, we'll do this, we'll do Spa. These are the dates that we think we can go there. 
and then the fourth tray drops out because it can't do it, you, you take it off. And then um, if the British Grand Prix drops out, you take it off. And it will be dropping out because of adverse conditions um, and government control. But you have to put that plan in place. No, you know, you don't want to be a big surprise come the middle of June when they all phone up and say, righto, um, you know, we want to put on a Grand Prix, we're happy for you to come, but can you come next week? Because the team just can't respond to that. So you, they need to have a calendar in place, dates on it, as the intended calendar as of X, Y, Z. And then as time goes by and we learn more about the situation, those dates, you know, the, the, the dates change, but the circuits at the beginning of it just drop off. They have to be that. Well, the teams have, as well, a few of them have spoken about this and they're talking about four to five weeks to have the, the the lead time needed because a lot of them haven't touched cars since they came back from Australia. There's a lot of prep work to do, plus all the logistics. So there's, there's a, yeah, it's, it's extremely uh, challenging. I mean, the sporting regulations set a minimum of eight races, which uh, I guess has just been put in there just to stop complete uh, fastest. I imagine Formula One, if they can get 12 proper races off at this stage, we'll probably be fairly happy. You'd probably sign on the dotted line for that uh, right now. But I did actually have somebody submitted this for opening questions a few minutes ago, but I, I thought I'd uh, I'd throw it in because it's pertinent. Uh, and it's it's about Bernie Eccleston, obviously someone you uh, uh, you know well and work with uh, a fair bit over the years. It's from uh, Marco Chacon. Apologies for the pronunciation. Uh, but he said, uh, what would Bernie do? Because it's not the first time F1's in crisis. Liberty's management has been questioned. What, what do you think Bernie would have done to, to manage this particular situation compared to Liberty? I think he would have showed determination to have a solution. Um, that solution is like what I'm saying. You know, Put a calendar together today that says this is what we're intending to do and feel quite happy to change it because it doesn't really you know that's what you have to do respond to to the situation um and you do your your utmost to make it happen but we know we can't have we we look back at what 2012 i think bahrain when everybody shouted about we shouldn't be going to bahrain was it 2012 or 2013 i'm not quite sure so 12 12 was the season we went back 11 11 was the year we missed it Okay, yeah, 2012 then. You know, everybody shouted about that Bernie shouldn't be going there and it was ridiculous and all that sort of stuff. Well, he would look at the situation, put his foot down and, and go there. We went there, we had a race, nobody had any problems. We all came back. Was it right or wrong? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not politically enough minded. But, you know, he, he was very good at making things happen. And I think right now he would be trying to make things happen. Um, but he would work with governments to try to achieve that, and he would. Work, but he'd have a plan, and that plan, you know, put it in place and get on with it. Liberty, they're they're not good at making decisions when it might cost money on the way there to do something. Um, you know, they're waiting to see who cancels the race, whether it's the circuit cancels it, the government cancels it, Liberty cancels it, the teams won't go, whatever. They always seem to be waiting for this to happen. Whereas Bernie, he was a one man band, and he made decisions. What Liberty has done is not too far off what uh, we suggest Bernie would have done there. But the, the question now is the both the adaptability and also what's going on behind the scenes, should we say? Because that's that's an area where where Bernie was was very strong, and obviously he knew all the promoters so well. And, and Liberty have had time to build those relationships, but the, the kind of wheeling and dealing element of, of Bernie Eccleston was very good for situations like this, wasn't it? Oh yeah, Bernie was a second-hand car salesman when he started. He was a wheeler dealer, and you know, whenever somebody said, "Oh, we we can't pay that amount of money for for to put the race on," and you know, Bernie would quite happily say, "Well, okay, I'll take it. I'll put it on, um, and I'll take the gate money." 
And then they'd go, well, oh, if you think that get money's going to be that good, and maybe we should do it. So he was very good at making things happen. And, I, you know, personally, I think it's missed. But it's, it's missed because it's now got to be a management team as opposed to a, manage, a manager that just had the money behind them and had the, the vision behind them um, to, to make things happen. You know, for years and years and years, people have wanted to get rid of Bernie, take over from Bernie, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, it, and it really didn't happen. And, and it didn't happen because he was good at what he did. And he made a lot of people very rich. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, that that's what you need. That's that's what his job was. He got Formula One to where it is from, you know, we used to drive a transit van to a race meeting. You're talking about going to Austria, you know, with, with 700 people or 70 people from each team. We used to go on a Formula One race with eight of us in a, in a Ford transit van. Um, and, and it could be done then, but, you know, but it's changed so dramatically now, it just got so big. And this is the consequences of it whenever we have to react to a situation like this. It's just so big. Yeah, hugely complicated challenge. So although it's easy to criticise Liberty and there's there's areas where it may be warranted, we shouldn't underestimate how big an operation this is and how difficult it will be to solve this this problem because it's, uh, it's as everyone keeps saying, unprecedented is the word that, that people keep throwing uh, around. Well, thanks, Gary, for your insight into F1's battle to happen in 2020. We're, we are hoping that it, that it will. It'd be great if it starts in Austria because... I'd like to give you some racing to talk about, if uh, if nothing else, and a few uh, a few technical developments to uh, to cover. But we will keep uh, keep cracking on with the Gary Anderson F1 show in the interim, anyway. So uh, thanks, Gary, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>